You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Dara Conroy. Melek is a town in County Leash that sits at the eastern edge of the Sleeve Bloom Mountains. It has a rich Quaker history, with settlers arriving in the 17th century to found breweries, distilleries, woolen mills, tanneries and glassworks. Its role as the leading textile producer during the Industrial Revolution gave rise to the town's nickname of the Manchester of Ireland. However, this declined during the Great Famine and the population of the town decreased by more than a third. By 2003, the population of Mount Melek sat at just over 3,000, though this was on the rise as new housing estates were being built. The once quiet town was beginning to change, and the new estates, along with the lack of employment in the community, had led some locals to feel that the town was getting rough. At 10 to 11, on the night of the 11th of November 2003, Gardaí at Portleash Garda Station were alerted to the discovery of a body on waste ground adjoining a soccer pitch in an area known as Smith's Field on the outskirts of the town. The initial call to Gardaí came from a 16-year-old girl who'd been concerned when a friend of hers had rang her to tell her that someone had been killed on the patch of wasteland. The parish field, located between a local authority housing estate and the River Owenus, was used mainly for sporting and community events. However, at night, it also served as a popular meeting spot for the town's youth, who would gather in the waste ground on its perimeter to drink and hang out. Garda Colum Hannan was dispatched to the location and, on a secluded, narrow pathway that was almost covered with briars, he found the body of 14-year-old Dara Conroy, who he recognised immediately. Dara was lying in a pool of blood, apparently having suffered massive head injuries. Two priests were called to administer the last rites and a local doctor attended the scene and pronounced the boy dead, noting that he had a massive, depressed skull fracture. Dara Conroy was a second-year student at Mount Melick Community School. An only child, Dara lived with his mother in an apartment in the town following his parents' separation. Teachers described him as an enthusiastic student, while friends and classmates said he was a quiet but happy-go-lucky lad who loved skateboarding, art and garage music. He had just turned 14 the previous month. On the morning of his murder, Dara's mother, Patricia Conroy, said that her son got ready for school as she got ready for work. She left the flat at 8.25am to travel to her job at a solicitor's office in Port Leash. At 9am, Dara rang her to say that he had an earache and that his ear was oozing. Patricia told him to go back to bed and that she would pick up a repeat prescription of antibiotics for him. She spoke to her son on the phone a number of times throughout the day, checking in on him to see how he was doing. Just before 5pm, as she got ready to leave for work and head home, Patricia called Dara to ask what he wanted for dinner. He told her he wanted sweet and sour chicken and said that he was going to meet some friends in the town. When she got home at half past five, her son was still out, but when he hadn't returned by six, she became concerned. 
Patricia tried calling Dara on his mobile phone, which she had bought for him a few weeks before so they could stay in touch while he was out and about, but she kept getting a message saying that the phone was out of service. She became increasingly worried as the evening went on, and at 8pm she went out to look for Dara, going up and down the road to see if she could find him. Worried that he may have fallen into the nearby river, she went up to the Onus at Smith's Field but found no sign of him. By this time, she was frantic and her repeated calls and text messages remained unanswered. As Patricia continued her search into the night, something else was stirring in the town. News had started to trickle through the local youth that something had happened to Dara. One teenager named Emmett Houlihan had phoned his friend, 16-year-old Dara Goodwin, whom he had known for most of his life. Goodwin told Houlihan that he had some, quote, scary shit to tell him. They met up at 9pm and Dara Goodwin said, quote, I'm after killing Dara Conroy. Houlihan initially thought that Goodwin was only joking. However, at 10pm, Goodwin took Houlihan and three other youngsters to Smith's Field to show them the body, telling one of them that he, quote, lured Dara Conroy down the field and hit the back of his head with a hammer a couple of times. One of the group phoned another friend to tell her what had happened, and this friend had rang the guardie. In a cruel twist, as Gardi began conducting their inquiries and questioning locals in Mount Melick, their paths crossed with Patricia Conroy and her brother-in-law, who were still out searching for Dara. Patricia had stopped to ask the occupants of a house if anyone had seen her son, when the woman inside said, quote, Oh, for God's sake, will someone tell the woman? Agarda then approached Conroy and her brother-in-law and confirmed that Dara's body had been found. A full murder inquiry was launched and the area at Smithsfield was sealed off as Garda technical officers began a detailed forensic examination, combing the nearby fields and river for evidence. Dara's body remained at the scene overnight before being removed to Dublin the following afternoon so that a full post-mortem could be carried out by state pathologist Mary Cassidy. Darren Goodwin was born in 1988 to parents Olive Goodwin and David Horan, who were only 16 themselves at the time of his birth. Liam Collins, writing for the Irish Independent, detailed how Goodwin was raised by his mother and grandparents for the majority of his life, living in a house in the centre of Mount Melick. For the first 15 years of his life, he didn't even know who his father was. According to his mother, Darren had never been violent or given any trouble during his childhood. However, in the autumn of 2003, he started to go off the rails, spiralling so far out of control that he was known to randomly square up to people on the street and hit them. Other teens, and even adults, would cross the road in Mount Melick to avoid bumping into him. There seemed to be no real sense or reason to this change in his personality, and his mother struggled to cope with it. In a misguided attempt to straighten him out, Goodwin was sent to live with his father, who he had no relationship with prior to the move. Olive said, quote, we were trying to put him on the right track. The hope was that the male guidance and influence of his father would help to calm Darren down. However, the situation deteriorated further and, as a result, Goodwin was suspended twice from school. Two months before the murder, he attempted suicide. He was brought to St. Fintan's Hospital in Port Leash but was released soon after, with doctors telling his parents that there was nothing wrong with him. He returned to school and his behaviour continued to worsen. In the days leading up to the murder, Goodwin had told his friends that he, quote, wanted to kill someone, someone no one would really care about, like Dara Conroy. 
Goodwin was taken into custody for questioning in the early hours of November 12, 2003. Accompanied by his father, David Horne, Goodwin was subjected to a number of interviews over the next few hours where he maintained his innocence. Following the fourth interview, he was left in the company of Horne for some time, after which Horne approached the team and said that his son was willing to admit his part in the death of Conroy. Goodwin was charged with assault causing harm under Section 4 of the Non-Fatal Offences Against the Person Act. At a special sitting of the Carlow District Court on the evening of November the 13th, the teenager was remanded in custody to Oberstown House, a detention campus in County Dublin that caters to juveniles between the ages of 12 and 18. In a town where violent crime was virtually unknown, locals in Mount Mellick were stunned following the brutal murder. Melanie Finn, writing for the Irish Independent, said that the killing had, quote, robbed a thriving town of its innocence and left locals asking why. The callous nature of the crime, as well as the youth of both Conroy and Goodwin, added to the shock for locals, with many describing it as tragic and senseless. One woman said, quote, Two families are destroyed over this. What is Mount Mellick coming to? Following Goodwin's arrest, officers retrieved a bloodstained hammer that they believed to be the murder weapon, hidden behind a sheet of corrugated steel in the garden of his grandparents' house. A bloodied towel was also uncovered during this search, concealed inside a box in one of the bedrooms. Dara's cream and gold Nokia 3510 phone was not on his body when it was found, leading Gardie to believe that robbery may have been the motive for his attack, and because of this, his death was quickly labelled a quote-unquote mobile phone killing. The post-mortem revealed that he had suffered six separate blows to the head, five of which were, quote, inflicted in rapid succession with considerable force while he was lying on the ground. The first blow had knocked him down and the other five caused major damage to his skull and brain, leaving a round imprint where they hit. Pupils of Mount Mellick Community School, of which both Dara Conroy and Darren Goodwin were students, were said to be traumatised by the murder and the school offered counselling as they attempted to come to terms with the senseless tragedy. Dara's body was released on Friday the 14th of November and his remains were brought to his home to lie in repose overnight. His friends attended the wake, gathering around his body to style his hair with wax the way he liked it and to pack his coffin with CDs, poems and cigarettes. The next morning he was brought to St. Joseph's Church for a requiem mass. In poignant scenes, students and teachers from Mount Mellick Community School and the Boys' National School, which Dara had attended for his primary education, formed a guard of honour as the funeral cortege made its way through the town. Hundreds of mourners packed into the overcrowded church to pay tribute to Dara's short life, and floral tributes decorated the altar. Resting on his coffin was a frame containing the last photo that had been taken of him before his death. The school choir accompanied the moving ceremony with parish priest Father Frank McNamara telling the congregation that it was not just Mount Mellick that had been touched by the loss of such a young life, but that people from all over Ireland had been affected. There were highly emotional scenes as Dara's body was placed into the back of the hearse after the Mass, with mourners moving forward to express condolences to the family. Such was the outpouring of grief that it took the funeral cortege 40 minutes to make its way the short distance to St. Joseph's graveyard. As the coffin was lowered into the ground, Dara's heartbroken mother Patricia wept as she whispered, Why? 
In a show of support to the family and local community, Mount Mellick Community School opened its doors to the mourners who had attended the funeral, providing refreshments and drinks as Dara's family and friends gathered to share their grief. In the days following the funeral, Dara's parents said that they were overwhelmed by the kindness and generosity of the community, especially the young people. They said, quote, All their little gifts, letters, poems and CDs that they left for Dara were greatly appreciated. You would never think that something like this is going to happen. Kids should not have to deal with this kind of thing. This episode is sponsored in part by the good folks over at HelloFresh. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, delivering you fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-follow recipes so you can have a quick and delicious home-cooked meal in a snap. With HelloFresh, you pick the meals that look good to you and avoid searching shops for the ingredients you need, time wasted waiting in lines, and food waste because they only send you what you need. It's all delivered right to your door so it couldn't be easier to have home-cooked meals. HelloFresh has 40 recipes and over 100 seasonal and convenience items to choose from each week, so there's no fear of getting bored or ending up back on the bean-on-toast rut. And if you're anything like me and struggle with lunch and snacks during the day, HelloFresh has you covered there too with easy lunches, snacks, and even meals for seasonal celebrations or festive gatherings. HelloFresh really takes all the work out of cooking. I forget sometimes all the organization that goes into getting meals on plates, and HelloFresh takes care of all of that so you can focus on the fun in making meals and trying new things. I'm delighted to say that right now, HelloFresh is offering Mens Rea listeners an amazing deal. Head to HelloFresh.com forward slash Mens 50 and use the code Mens 50 and you'll get 50% off plus your first box ships free. There's a reason why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, so give it a try. Head to HelloFresh.com forward slash Mens 50 and use the code Mens 50 and you'll get 50% off and your first box shipped free. Darren Goodwin's trial opened on Monday the 19th of July 2004. He had turned 16 in the months following the murder, but as he was still a minor, he had not been named in the media, and this anonymity was extended throughout the trial. He pleaded not guilty to the murder of Dara Conroy. In his opening speech, prosecuting counsel Anthony Salmon, senior counsel, alleged that the motive for the murder was robbery as Dara Conroy had a mobile phone that was of interest to the accused. This, he said, was a significant factor in the killing. According to Mr Salmon, Dara had sustained traumatic force to his head from a hammer, and that hammer was wielded by Darren Goodwin. The accused, he said, had spoken to his peer group about the murder in the preceding days and weeks, and as a result, the prosecution contended that Goodwin had, quote, formulated the intention to cause the death of the deceased, meaning the murder was premeditated. The jury heard from the 16-year-old girl who had made the initial phone call to Gardee after having spoken to a friend who told her that Dara had been killed. They also heard from Detective Garda Thomas Carey of the Garda Technical Bureau, who attended the crime scene on the 12th of November 2003. He said, quote, there was a large open wound through which the brain tissue could be seen. Detective Carey also said that he went to Godwin's grandparents' house in Mount Melek, where Gardie had found the alleged murder weapon. On the second day of the trial, Patricia Conroy took to the stand. 
During her emotional testimony, she described the events of the morning of November the 11th and how Dara had stayed home from school because of an earache. She told the court that she had spoken to him numerous times throughout the day, the last being just before 5pm, when he told her that he was going to meet some friends. She said that she had become concerned when he hadn't returned by 6, and she started ringing Dara's phone to see where he was. Through tears, she said, quote, When I rang, I got the message saying his phone was out of service. I rang and rang and rang. She told the jury that her son's phone, a Nokia 3510, was only a few weeks old. The front panel was gold, while the back of the phone was cream in colour. Presented with the phone in court by Mr Salmon, Patricia said that was his phone. Next, the jury heard from Michael Redmond, a 29-year-old man from Mount Mellick. Redmond had bought a phone from the accused the week before the murder, but it wasn't working. And when Redmond had contacted Goodwin to complain, the 16-year-old said that he would get him another one straight away. On the day of the murder, Goodwin had called into Redmond sometime between 4pm and 4.30. He told Redmond that he had a phone for him and that he would call back with it later. At 10 to 6 that evening, the accused did call back into Redmond with a new mobile phone. When presented with Dara Conroy's phone in court, Redmond confirmed, quote, that's the same phone. He said that the day after Conroy's death, he brought the mobile phone to Gardee in Port Leash. A close friend of Goodwin's testified that the defendant had rang him late on November 11th and confessed that he was, quote, after killing someone and leaving him down the banks. Two more phone calls followed. The friend had asked, quote, are you serious? Goodwin replied, yes. The friend then asked, is he dead? And Goodwin had answered, yes. Goodwin's friend, Emmett Houlihan, also gave evidence that he had spoken to the 16-year-old on the evening of the murder, and on meeting him at 9pm, the accused had made admissions to him about killing Dara Conroy. The witness said that he didn't believe his friend, who had eventually taken Houlihan and three other young men down to show them the body. Houlihan said, quote, I didn't go near the body. We only went halfway. I didn't want to see the body. Another friend, Martin Santry, told the jury how Goodwin had said that he, quote, lured Conroy down the field and hit the back of his head with a hammer a couple of times. Santry said he walked 20 yards down the field with the other youngsters before turning back. He said that he thought they were only messing. The court heard how Goodwin had started to describe how he'd killed Dara Conroy to one acquaintance, telling him how Conroy's blood had hit him in the eye as he struck him with the hammer. A classmate of Goodwin's told the court that in the weeks before the death, he was out with two friends when they were joined by the accused. He recalled Goodwin saying, quote, I would love to kill someone, someone that no one would care about, like Dara Conroy. Another classmate testified that Goodwin had once said that he, quote, wondered what it's like to kill someone, and that he would, quote, like to try it out on Dara Conroy first. Writing for the Irish Independent, Siobhan Gaffney detailed the evidence given by state pathologist Marie Cassidy. On the stand, Dr Cassidy said that Dara Conroy suffered six separate blows to the head, five of which were inflicted in rapid succession. She said, quote, The young man was upright when the first blow was struck on the right side of his head. This blow could have caused him to collapse to the ground and lose consciousness. Dr. Cassidy went on to say that Dara would have been unable to defend himself because he would have lost consciousness quickly and died almost immediately. 
She placed the time of death at around half past six on November the 11th. The pathologist went on to describe in shocking detail how fragments of Dara's skull were found around his collar and under his right hand. She said, quote, his skull had been broken up like a jigsaw and some of the pieces had fallen out of the wound. Goodwin's father, David Horn, told the Central Criminal Court how he had only become a part of his son's life in 2003. He said that Darren had been living with him for six months by November, having spent his life up until then living with his mother in his grandparents' house. He explained how Goodwin had attempted suicide in September of 2003 and that he was very worried about him. At a quarter past six on November the 11th, 2003, with Dara Conroy likely already dead, Horan had brought Goodwin for a counselling session with a local nun who worked as a psychotherapist. Horan said that in the early hours of November 12th, Gardy had called to his house looking to talk to Darren. He gave them permission to speak to him and at half past three in the morning, Gardy came and took the boy in for questioning. A teacher from Mount Mellick Community School testified that on the 11th of November, Goodwin was present in his metalwork class. It was the last class of the day and Goodwin's behaviour had come to his attention. The teacher said, quote, He had something in his pocket, but he refused to remove it. When Gardy came to the school in the aftermath of Dara's murder, they asked what hammers were used at the school and it was then that the teacher discovered that two hammers were missing from the metalwork classroom. On Tuesday the 27th of July, Darren Goodwin's grandmother took to the stand. She said that on the evening of November 11th, 2003, her grandson had asked her for a hammer. Quote, he often did that, so it wasn't unusual, but we couldn't find a hammer. She also testified that the accused came to her house at about a quarter to six that evening. It was raining and his tracksuit top was very wet, so he took it off and put it in the laundry basket. His grandmother said that she took it from his room and hung it up in the kitchen to dry. When asked by Mr. Salmon if she had used detergent on it, she replied, quote, Just a little. I dipped it in water, but it was clean. Her husband told the jury that he was shown a lump hammer that was allegedly used in the killing by Gardy following a search of his garden on November 12th. The hammer was found at the boundary wall of the house behind a sheet of galvanised steel. The witness was shown a hammer in court and confirmed that it was the same hammer that was found in his garden. However, he said the hammer wasn't his and he, quote, never saw the hammer before in his life. The man had tools of his own for work, he said, but the hammer he owned was different. It was a claw hammer. Evidence was also given by Garda James Marr, who found the hammer. He had pulled the corrugated sheet away from the wall and, as he looked down behind it, had spotted the tool. Garda Marr also told the court that while searching the bedrooms of the house, he came across several empty mobile phone boxes. Inside one of the boxes, he had found a towel which had some dried bloodstains on it. Garda Colum Hannan gave evidence of finding the body of Dara Conroy shortly before midnight on November the 11th. Garda Hannan said, quote, He was cold. It was my belief that he had been dead for some time. The guard went on to describe the wasteland where the discovery was made, saying it was a fairly secluded area, almost covered with briars and bushes. 
After eight days of evidence, the jury of five men and seven women were discharged. They had deliberated for two and a half hours before finding Darren Goodwin guilty of murder by a majority of 11 to 1. Patricia Conroy broke down in tears as the verdict was read out. Judge Barry White remanded Goodwin in custody to St. Patrick's Institution to await sentencing. Sirka Crowley, reporting for the Irish Independent, wrote that the atmosphere was emotionally charged as Mr Justice White told the court that a mandatory life sentence was normally handed down for a guilty verdict in a murder case, but that there is an exception when it comes to juveniles. He said that he would have to take the teenager's age into consideration, along with any psychological or psychiatric factors. Darren Goodwin showed no emotion as the verdict was handed down. His parents sat behind him grim-faced. Goodwin had refused to speak to them throughout the court proceedings, despite their best attempts. He had sat for the majority of the eight-day trial with his arms outstretched across the back of the bench, his legs spread out in front of him as his expression remained impassive. Even as his friends testified against him, and as the state pathologist gave graphic evidence on how Derek Conroy died, Goodwin showed no reaction or remorse. In the aftermath of the trial, Judge Barry White criticised what he said was the cavalier attitude of Portleash Gardee as they questioned Darren Goodwin. It transpired that five of the initial Garda interviews with Goodwin were ruled inadmissible as evidence. Goodwin had been arrested at 10 to 4 in the morning and taken to Portleash Garda station, where he was questioned until 6.35am. He was then given a brief rest period before the questioning began again just after half past eight. Mr Justice White said that the treatment of the boy in detention was inadequate and that he was clearly fatigued and that the admissions made were effectively cajoled out of him. He also said that the Garda in charge at Portleash Garda Station, who was responsible for ensuring that prisoners' rights were not breached, had, quote, failed to comply with his statutory obligations by not informing Goodwin or his father of the right to a solicitor. The judge pointed out that the raised voices and inappropriate comments made to Goodwin during the fourth interview by both detectives and the boy's father were unacceptable. He said, quote, I'm satisfied that in the course of that interview an endeavour was made to break the will of the juvenile. He also criticised Gardie for holding Goodwin in a cell when there were other rooms available. Quote, Having regard to the atmosphere in the fourth interview and the demeanour of the juvenile in the fifth interview, I am satisfied that the emanations from him were not the emanations of a free will, and I am satisfied that they were not freely made. All of these factors meant that the videos of the five interviews could not be shown to the jury, which could have put the prosecution's case in jeopardy. On Tuesday, October the 12th, 2004, Patricia Conroy returned to court to deliver her victim impact statement. She described her pain and anguish since the brutal killing of her son. Dara should have turned 15 the day before. It should have been a happy day, she said, a day of celebration. He loved his birthday, loved the presents, the cards and the trips to the cinema with his friends. But this year she had instead visited his grave and this would be the future of all of his birthdays. 
Patricia said she would always remember the Tuesday night that Dara went missing and the rising panic she had felt as she searched Mount Melek for hours and tried repeatedly to ring him. She recalled her distress when she discovered that he was dead and her devastation that she could not see him or give him one last hug. Patricia said, quote, He lay in a cold field all night until the afternoon of the next day. I couldn't hold him. Patricia spoke of her terror at seeing her only child in a coffin, wondering if he had suffered or called out for her in his final moments. Quote, he was only 14. He shouldn't be dead. He should be out having fun with his friends. She'd been disgusted when she was told that Goodwin had pleaded not guilty and, as a result, she had to relive all the horrific details of Dara's death across the eight days of evidence. During that time, she had heard things that no mother should hear. Speaking of Goodwin's callous comments to his friends that he had wanted to kill somebody nobody would care about, Patricia asked, quote, How could he say that about the boy I carried for nine months? The child I had lived for and adored with every inch of my being. Patricia felt that having to sit through the trial was the same as Dara being killed day after day. It, she said, was all about proving the innocence of the accused. She felt as if she was invisible and Dara didn't matter. There was nobody to represent her son, nobody to tell his side of the story. Dara had no rights, his family had no rights, and all the rights were for the accused. She went on to say that the lack of remorse shown by Goodwin throughout the trial chilled her to the bone, and she asked how he could sit there without a care in the world when he had killed her son. Quote, the loss of an only child is indescribable. It will never make sense. What was the reason for Dara to be murdered in such a vicious, unprovoked way? That was never answered, and to me, that is the most difficult thing to live with. Patricia Conroy finished her statement by saying that Dara was her best friend, and because of Goodwin, he would never have a career, a girlfriend, or get married. She would never see him smile again. Following Patricia Conroy's emotional statement, Olive Goodwin addressed the court. She began by saying, quote, I'm sorry for what has happened. It is beyond my understanding totally. If we could turn back the clock and make it different, we would. She painted a picture of Darren as a troubled young man who had never shown any signs of violence before, claiming that the murder of Dara Conroy was an isolated incident. She said that her family was devastated. She insisted that Goodwin was remorseful for what he had done and said that although he refused to speak to his parents or grandparents during the trial, they were now rebuilding a good relationship with each other. Justice Barry White adjourned sentencing until the end of the week to give him time to consider a number of psychiatric and probation reports on Goodwin. However, he lifted the strict reporting restrictions on the case, meaning Goodwin could now be identified in the media. The sentencing hearing took place the following Friday, on October the 15th of 2004. In an unusually passionate sentencing speech, Justice Barry White imposed a life sentence on Goodwin, saying, quote, You killed an innocent 14-year-old in a premeditated, brutal, callous murder. Not alone did you deprive Dara Conroy of his life at a time when he had his entire future to look forward to. You devastated the life of his mother, who will grieve and mourn to her dying day her only child. Justice White went on to reproach Goodwin for pleading not guilty and therefore prolonging the suffering of Dara Conroy's loved ones by putting them through the trauma of a trial. However, he said, by contesting his innocence, Goodwin had also given the judge the opportunity to observe his attitude and demeanour. 
Quote, to say the least, your attitude was one of total indifference to what was going on around you. Mr Justice White added that Goodwin had shown, quote, absolute scorn and contempt for the trial in general. Visibly emotional at times, the judge said that he had considered, quote, the viciousness with which Goodwin beat to death an unarmed innocent young man without any form of provocation or justification. Justice White read from a report written by a clinical psychologist, Andrew Conway, who had conducted an assessment on Darren Goodwin. The report revealed that Goodwin had a deep-seated hatred of his father, to whom he bore huge resentment. Conway observed that while discussing the murder, Goodwin stated that Dara Conroy was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and if Dara had not been there at that time, he would have killed his father instead. He said that he would have ended up in prison either way. When asked if he could flip a switch and swap his father for Dara Conroy, Goodwin said that he would. The clinical psychologist wrote in his report that Goodwin was a significant risk to his father. The judge told the teenager that he had ruined his own life, brought disgrace and shame on his family, and that he was a danger to society. In the course of the trial, he said, there was some evidence to suggest that the attack on Conroy may have been a trial run for an attack on a member of Angarda Shiakana. Although Defence Counsel Patrick Gageby Senior Counsel had urged the court to accept that Goodwin was remorseful, Mr Justice White rejected this, saying, quote, I find it hard to believe that any expression of remorse is real or genuine. In sentencing Goodwin, the judge said that one of his duties was to take mitigating circumstances into account. However, in this case, he couldn't see any, apart from Goodwin's age. He decreed that the life sentence should be reviewed in 10 years' time, which would be 2014. Mr Justice White expressed gratitude to the young people of Mount Mellick who came forward with their accounts of Goodwin to help solve the case. Without them, he said, there would have been no conviction. Concluding his speech, the judge addressed Patricia Conroy and in a voice filled with emotion, he said, quote, I am not a man with a heart of stone. I too have young children. I know how I would feel in your situation and I would like to express my sympathy to you. Goodwin stood with his head down during the hearing, showing no emotion as his sentence was handed down. His parents sat side by side opposite him, but there was no eye contact between them and their son. Following the sentencing, Patricia Conroy gave an interview on RTE Radio. She explained that she had since moved out of her home in Mount Mellick, unable to cope with the stares from strangers and the constant reminders of her son. She recalled Dara's huge smile and his love of fun. Speaking of Darren Goodwin, she described watching him in court and seeing absolutely no reaction from him. She said, quote, it was like he was only looking at a film, adding that he appeared, quote, so cold, with his arms stretched out across the bench. There was much talk in the media that week about increasing violence in Irish society. As Dara Goodwin began his life sentence, another team, named Christopher Dunn, was awaiting sentence for stabbing a 17-year-old to death. The two crimes bore striking similarities. Like Goodwin, Dunn had been just 15 when he committed murder, and in both cases the perpetrators stole the mobile phones of their victims in the aftermath of the killing. Parallels were also drawn given the senseless violence of both murders which was completely out of proportion to the motive of mobile phone robbery. In February of 2005, Goodwin appealed the severity of his sentence. 
his lawyers told the three-judge Court of Criminal Appeal that the trial judge should have imposed a determined fixed sentence rather than a life sentence. Patrick Gageby, senior counsel, said it would give Goodwin, quote, light at the end of the tunnel and a period during which he could work towards becoming a useful member of society. The following month, the appeal was refused. The three-judge panel said that given the callous and unprovoked nature of the murder, along with the disposition of Goodwin at the time of sentencing, the trial judge was correct in imposing a life sentence, subject to review in 2014. This, they said, would allow the court to review the length of the sentence in relation to matters such as rehabilitation efforts. On the 11th of September 2014, the sentence review went ahead, despite the Director of Public Prosecution asking for an adjournment to acquire more reports. Dressed in a black jacket and blue jeans, Goodwin entered the witness box before Mr Justice Barry White to enter a bond of good behaviour and pledge to fulfil other conditions upon his release. His father, David Horan, testified that he had moved his family to another town so that the Conroy family would not have to encounter Darren if he was released to live with them. He said that he had rented a house with a separate apartment where his son could live independently and that his boss had agreed to offer Goodwin an apprenticeship upon release. Mr Horan also said that he was concerned that his son wasn't receiving the psychological support and services that he needed, and that he had raised this with the prison authorities in the past, but had gotten nowhere. The court heard from clinical psychologist Dr Kevin Lamb, who testified that the assessment of Goodwin was challenging, as he had committed the crimes as a juvenile before his mind had fully developed. Although the risk for future violence was low, his opinion was that Goodwin needed forensic psychotherapy twice a week for at least two years in order to ensure that he had the best chance of rehabilitation. Mr Justice Barry White set a release date of July 1st, 2016, but imposed the caveat that Goodwin must receive the services of a psychotherapist twice a week in prison saying that he was not satisfied that the issue of remorse had been fully addressed. As per Justice White's ruling, Darren Goodwin was released on the 30th of June 2016. He had served 12 and a half years for the premeditated murder of Dara Conroy and was 28 years old. Patricia Conroy objected to his discharge from prison, saying he should not have been freed as he was still a danger to society. According to her, Goodwin still hadn't shown remorse and she claimed that he failed to complete the course of forensic psychotherapy which was directed by the court as a condition of his release. Patricia told Connor Feehan of the Evening Herald that she had written to the prison service to voice her concerns over Goodwin's impending release and to ask why the psychology services weren't present at the sentence review hearing in 2014. She received a reply from the Director of Care and Rehabilitation of the Prison Service who stated that no specific request was received from the court for a member of the Psychology Service to be there. However, he wrote, quote, It certainly would have been prudent for a member of the Psychology Service to be present in court. Following this, Patricia received a letter from the offices of the Taunishta and Justice Minister Francis Fitzgerald assuring her that, quote, all professionals engaged in this case have undertaken appropriate interventions with Mr Goodwin. The letter added that a multi-agency post-release programme was in place to facilitate Goodwin's safe reintegration into the community. 
In May of 2017, Goodwin was back before the courts, where he was directed not to go within an eight-kilometre zone of Mount Melick Town, unless he was given verbal permission by the probation services. Goodwin's barrister told the court that his parents lived near Mount Melick and so he may wish to visit their home on occasion. Patricia Conroy was in court to hear the ruling. She had long since moved from Mount Melick, but she still visited the town three or four times a week. She said, quote, Since Darren Goodwin got out last year, I have been afraid I would meet him on the street. It would be in the back of your mind. Relatives of mine have seen him. Patricia said that at least now she would be able to relax and not be nervous that she might bump into him. On the 3rd of August, 2022, just six years after his early release from prison, Darren Goodwin passed away unexpectedly. He was 34 years old. Patricia Conroy said that not a day goes by that she doesn't think about Dara or cry over him. She said, quote, I adored Dara. I still dream about him. I wonder what he would be like. I see his friends in relationships and getting jobs. I still buy him presents, little things at his birthdays and Christmas, and I leave them on his grave. That's the only way I can give them to him. Nothing could hurt me as much as losing Dara. He was funny and smart, but I'm glad I'm Dara's mother and not Darren Goodwin's. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at mensreapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Special thanks this week to Jean, Robbie Thomas, Fiona Fielding, Sarah Buckley, and Darren Riley. Please do check it out at patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. Our theme music is Quinn's song The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This week's episode was researched and written by the amazing Aileen Spiran. Additional writing and production was by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do.